Okay, here we go. Um, three passages just to get us going. Uh, first one is Ephesians chapter 5. And this is one of these passages where we say, where do I start? I could start at the beginning. Where do I finish? I don't want it ever to finish. But I'm just going to read three verses. Verse 15 says, be very careful then how you live. Say, be very careful. Brilliant. Not as unwise, but as wise. Say wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Last one, say every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Another one, Galatians 6, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Good start to get the pattern now, I hope. Third one, Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul writes, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I, I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So, here's the big idea this morning. The big idea is that all around us are tremendous seed-sowing opportunities. We need to learn to recognize those opportunities, how to, how to act on them, and how to trust the seed. All around us are tremendous seed-sowing opportunities. We must recognize them, act on them, and trust the seed. In those three passages I read, it probably didn't escape you because you're sharp, I can tell. The common word to each of them is the word opportunity. And this series is entitled The Year of Opportunity that we as a church feel that God is calling us to. Uh, and, and if I had to summarize those three passages, and we'll look into these in a bit of detail. The first one is, is be wise. The, me the message in that is, is you're going to have opportunities. Be wise how you use, how you leverage those opportunities. The second one in Galatians chapter 6, which is a great passage, it starts off by talking about how, how God will not be mocked, that a man reaps what he sows, and if you sow after the Spirit, you'll reap after the Spirit. If you sow after the flesh, you'll reap after the flesh. And so for me, that, that particular passage says, sow seed. You know, don't, don't be weary. Never give up. Just keep on sowing and trusting that seed. And then the third passage, Colossians 4, for me, that says, pray for opportunities. And when those opportunities come, don't be ashamed. Remember last week, don't be ashamed to proclaim that message boldly. Because as I said, the big idea is that all around us are tremendous seed-sowing opportunities. We need to recognize them, act on them, and trust the seed. So this is the theology from which we start. It goes something like this, that God in his goodness is always ever working in people's lives, whether they realize it, recognize it, want it or not. 
He's always just steering and nudging and drawing. He does that in the good times. He does that in the bad times. He does that in the wins. He does that in the losses. And he does it whether we're aware of it or not. And if that is the case, it means that all around us, every day, there are people who are wondering about God. People who are thinking about the big questions of life. There are people who are perhaps in crisis, falling on their knees and saying the only words that they can, which is, God, I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're there, but God, help me. Now, if you ever find yourself looking at somebody, perhaps staring into their eyes and saying, I wonder what, wonder what your story is. How did you end up here? What's going on inside of you? What journey have you been on? What's God up to? What's he stirring in your life? Do you look at people like that? You should. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in Marks and Spencer's food. No, I'm not in there every day. And we were at the checkout line, and there was a guy there, and he just looked out of place. And there was nothing wrong with the man. He was, I think, I'm guessing he was retired. He looked as though he was retired. And he looked and he spoke as though he was a professional gentleman. And he's sitting there on the checkout line in Marks and Spencer's. And I'm thinking, you don't quite fit there for me. How, how did you end up here? What's going on? And I looked at him, I thought, Lord, I just wonder. You know, and you've got no idea, have you? I mean, I don't know. This man may have been working the checkout line at Marks and Spencer's for 50 years. I don't know. He might have been, you know, one of these programs. Maybe he was the MD secretly hiding behind the line. I don't know. You know, maybe he, he'd been bankrupt. I don't know. Just as he thought his financial package was set for a time and everything crashed. And he's taken this. I don't know. What's God up to? Because I guarantee that God is at work. That he's always stirring and nudging and drawing. This is my premise. My premise is that God is constantly probing hearts. He's constantly inserting people, his people, into situations. And he's constantly whispering in people's ears. They may not recognize it. His overriding intention in all of that is to draw people into relationship, to draw people into grace, and to draw people home. We went to Hillsong London about a month ago, and their, their big banner at the top was, Welcome Home. That was a great message. That's a call that God is giving to all of us over and over. There's a prominent principle that goes something like this. If you want to know what God is thinking, what God is doing, if you want to know the will of the Father, then you look at Jesus. You look at his life, his ministry, you look at what he did, and you look at what he said. And if you examine Jesus' ministries, there's two sides to it, really. On, the, on one hand, you've got these huge crowds that he's engaging with. You know, these wonderful stories of people camped out, feeding 5,000, healing multitudes and all of that. That's wonderful. But on the other hand, I think for me, the, the most compelling stories are the encounters that he has with individuals. I, I don't know how well you know the gospel stories, but, but think about that woman caught in adultery. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well. You know, Jesus has this amazing conversation with her. Think about the, the woman 
who I think we're led to believe was a, was a prostitute or something like that, who, who, who fell down at Jesus' feet and anointed his feet with precious perfume. And I mean, think about those situations. And think about men, think about Nicodemus, who snuck out late at night to ask Jesus questions because he was afraid of what his friends might think. Think about the rich young ruler who has this fascinating conversation with Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus tells him, doesn't like it. Wonder what happens subsequent to that. Think about one of my favorites is there's a story where Jesus goes across a lake, ministers to Legion, the demoniac, filled with, with, with the demonic spirits, ministers to him, sets him free, gets on the boat and goes home. God led him across that lake to minister to one madman. And as I think about all those different stories and situations, for me, it's as though God sought them out. So Jesus sought them out one by one for some form of special encounter. Another compelling story to me, anyways, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I think we'd be fair to say, was, if I'm being polite, a pretty rotten egg. He was despised and hated by just about everybody. He was wealthy, he worked for the Romans, he was a tax collector. We know the story. He wanted to see Jesus. He hid up, he tried to get up a tree because he was a diddy man. No one could see him. Climbed up a tree so he could see Jesus. And what would happen that day? But Jesus walks by, looks up into the tree at Zacchaeus, catches him in the eye, said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house for tea. Amazing story. Why? Why Zacchaeus? And actually, if you read that account in Luke chapter 19, it is, and then you read at the end, verse 10, there's this stunning verse where it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Oh, I love that. Th that was what Jesus was doing. This is what God is ever doing all around us, over and over again, with our neighbours, with our brothers and sisters, our colleagues, our teammates, our classmates. He is in the business of seeking and saving the lost. And so by extrapolation, that becomes our mandate. Our, our responsibility is to join him in this process of seeking and saving those people who are lost. Just press pause for a second, having, having set that up, this, this idea that there are seed-saying opportunities all around, we've got to recognize, we've got to act on them, we've got to trust the seed. Just press pause. I think there's a great danger that while all that is going on, we, we miss it. But though it's happening all around us, though actually this is the main thing, it's impossible that we miss it for a variety of reasons. I just want to look at a, two or three of those this morning. The first one is because we're too introspective. The second one is because we are so busy. And the third one, I think, is that we can become calloused, actually. What do I mean by all that? By all that? Number one, the idea of being too introspective. You know, it's so easy in this helter-skelter world to end up actually just preoccupied with self. Just, just dominated by self-interest, you know, my family, my job, my church, my leisure, my entertainment. You know, it, in this individualistic culture that we live in, it, it's very easy actually to become turned inward so in reality, we, we, we very rarely look any wider and any further than the own, our own four walls. 
if you know what I mean. It's easy to get safely nestled, isn't it, in our comfort zone, concerned only with our own affairs and living in our own little bubble. Secondly, it's very easy to, be, to become so busy. I think this is a huge problem we have in the 21st century, racing against the clock, trying desperately to keep up, struggling to catch your own tail. I wrote this down. You know, we don't even have enough time for the immediate urgent that's right in front of us, let alone worry about the unexpected or the additional or the distracting. Statements like this, I can't even manage mine, let alone worry about yours. A few years ago, I read a leadership book by an author by the name of David L. McKenna, and the book was called Never Blink in a Hailstorm, which seems like interesting advice. And in this book, there's a chapter which I never forget. The chapter is called Never Waste an Interruption. And the premise of this chapter actually is that the best ministry, the greatest opportunities, are actually in interruptions. And the danger is that we tend to be so, if you're like me, so chronically to-do list driven, that actually we can get to the point where we come to despise anything that gets in the way of that. And in this chapter, Never Waste an Interruption, he says this. He says, Mark records more interruptions than planned events in Jesus' ministry. If you come right down to it, the most beautiful stories in Jesus' ministry begin as interruptions. And then if you read the chapter, he lists 13 wonderful examples. And he says this at the end. He says, who can doubt that interruptions not only define the ministry of Jesus, they are his ministry. You know, I think, you know, We honour the Good Samaritan, don't we? Fantastic guy. Let's not be like the other two. See, the other two were pillars of society. They were highly regarded, respected, educated guys. But they walked on by and they missed the point. Never waste an interruption. Never get so busy that you miss out on it, ultimately because of a bad attitude. Number three, uh, another reason we might miss what, what's going on all around us is, is eventually we just become too calloused. Now, on my fingers my, of my left hand as a guitar player, I've got calluses. And what that means is, is the skin has become toughened, weathered, and scarred. And actually now, it gets to the point where it becomes so hard, hopefully, I don't play quite enough for this, but it, it reaches the point where actually you're unable to feel where if you get poked on it, you're unable to react, even to feel pain. When I play bass, I wish I had those calluses on this side. I don't. They're all on my, my fretboard side here. And I wonder, can we become hardened? Can we become cold? Can we become prejudiced towards people that are needy, people that are different, people that are lost? Can we lose that edge, that zeal? Can we become immune to compassion? Can we forget our mission? It reminds me of a silly advert that Jill Cole showed me once. I watched it the other day. It made me chuckle. And the scene is uh, uh, two young lovers are going to the cinema, and they buy their tickets 
for their, um, for their wonderful romantic night out. And they're just heading into screen one, expecting the dim lights and the music, and they're going to find their slot. And they walk in, and the lights are on, there's no music, and the auditorium is filled with bikers. Long hair, leathers, tattoos, and they're all staring at them like this. And in the middle of this church, there are two seats. And it's just hysterical watching, it's a Carlsberg ad. Uh, it's hysterical watching the people who come in, and they, they kind of edge in, and then they edge out. And you see whispering, and a couple go in, and then the husband grabs the Wi-Fi, and off they go. And, and the way it works is eventually a couple pluck up the courage, and they walk, and of course the two seats are right in the middle. And then they wander their way to the edge, and they sit down, and they nudge each other, and there's a great cheer, and you know, the, the people next to them pop a can, and they give them a can of Carlsberg more greatness. <laughs> and apart from being entertaining, you know, I think we can, sometimes we, we can look at whole groups of people, can't we? And I think there's, there's a danger, actually, that, that, that we just become comfortable, we become very middle class in church, and we can actually become callous to whole groups of people. I'm thinking several stories about that that entertain me. But I still remember walking out of my church in Collingwood, Ontario. Um, I think I was going down the road to the post office where we had a P.O. box. And there was a series of guys who were living in halfway houses and ex-alcoholics and whatever, and ladies. And they were sitting on that bench because the coffee shop was right there and they were scrounging. And they sat there every single day. And I remember walking by with a slightly uncomfortable feeling, I remember God saying to me, Jamie, you're the pastor of that church. You should know those people by name. I'm being struck by that. Really, really powerful. And we actually set up a whole lunchtime ministry to get those guys in. And I did know them by name. And it was great. It was fantastic. But danger has become prejudiced. We've become hardened. And we've become cold. To the, po- to the extent that we miss everything that's happening around us. There's one more danger before we dive into those three passages. And I think there's a danger that, that what we should regard as opportunity actually starts to become obligation. Opportunity is the working of grace. Obligation is the working of law. Opportunity is the fruit of love. Obligation is the fruit of fear. Opportunity comes from relationship and friendship and shared passion with God. Obligation comes from a sense of guilt and from a burden and from a compulsion. And the danger is we look at all this in the busyness as obligation, as a program, rather than an opportunity. And the place of strength in all things really is is walking with God. So, so we catch his heart and we know his voice and we see his perspective. Uh, and in that case, all of this, ra- rather than being an, something that I ought to do, it becomes something that I get to do. It becomes something that I want to do. I don't know about you, but as I observe my children, they respond better, so much better, to things they want to do than the things that they ought to do. Very, very different scores out of 10 on those two. You know, I think God knows what we respond to best. We respond so much better to that want to, to that passion, to that intimacy, to that relationship. We just don't respond well to burden and pressure and guilt and obligation. Okay, so 
Back to those three passages. What, what advice does Scripture have for us? How, how do we go about making the most of every opportunity? How should we approach all of this? Well, the first passage, I think it's going to come up on the screen, is Ephesians chapter 5, which, which is the be wise passage. And, and in this it says, essentially, there are two ways to live. We can live as wise or we can live as unwise, foolish. And in this passage, it says that the wise man is careful of three things. First of all, he's careful of how he lives. Careful of how he lives. Secondly, he's careful to make the most of every opportunity because he knows that the days actually are evil. And thirdly, he's careful to understand what the Lord's will is. I think we're all probably clear in this, what the Lord's will is. Here's a newsflash for you. Not sure it's going to be a shock. The days are evil. You know, in our world, actually everything's under attack. Our morality is under attack. Our Bible is under attack. Our freedom of speech is under attack. Our ability to quote scripture even without being harangued is under threat. Out there, folks, there's a competition. We're in a fight. We cannot afford to be passive. We've got to learn to recognize every opportunity that presents itself, and we've got to learn to take that opportunity. The good news is that those, those opportunities are going to continue to come our way, whatever the world's agenda may be. The reason that is the case is because God Almighty is still on the throne. And in spite of all that, Perhaps because of all that, he's still at work. He's at work here, there, and everywhere. And his purposes will not be thwarted. So we need to be wise. Because the days are evil, we've got to seize those opportunities. Second news flash for you is that God has chosen, miraculously, God has chosen to use you and me to fulfill those purposes. Familiar passage, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. Tap the person next to you in the ribs. Say, you are God's masterpiece. That will make them feel really good. Now do it again with a smile as though you really mean it. You, we, we're God's masterpiece. You know, God, it says in this passage that God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned long ago. For us to do. The, the impression being that the God has mapped all this out. And now he's finally got hold of you. He, you're born again. He's starting to fashion you and form you as though you were on that potter's wheel. Because he's got tasks. He's got opportunities. He's got responsibilities for you. It goes something like this. God did work for us. It's Jesus on the cross. Then he said about working in us for the objective of working through us. And I think it's extraordinary that he's chosen, well, I speak for myself. It's extraordinary that God has chosen us. And we are actually, we are his primary resource. His people, his children, his church are his primary resource in pursuit of his purposes. And in essence, in all of this, we are working in partnership with God. He leads we follow. He opens doors and we walk through. He's given us opportunities 
and connections and relationships to leverage. He's given us gifts to use. He's given us stories to tell. He's given us seed to sow. We, we need to learn how to make the most of all that. We're not necessarily going to do it well naturally. We need to learn. We need to be stretched. We need to step out. We need faith and boldness. We need to pray. Hence this series. Because the message of Ephesians chapter 5 is, is the danger is that we are unwise. The danger is we're foolish. We fritter away our time. We neglect our talents. And we waste our opportunities. And the flip of that is we are called as God's children to be wise. To recognize God's will, his priorities. To recognize where he is at work. And then to make the most of the opportunities that he has placed in our path. Ephesians 10, prepared in advance. I believe God is scattering and placing opportunities, encounters in our path. Second passage, Galatians 6, is the sowing seed passage. Last week, Easter Sunday, great day, we preached on Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and a salvation for everyone that believes. And the message last week was, under no circumstances, underestimate the power of the seed, the power of the gospel. And everywhere that you and I go, there are opportunities for us to sow that seed. And the message in Galatians chapter 9 is, though it may be tempting, never give up. Don't, don't grow weary. If you hang in there, if you keep going, and the reason we can keep going is the previous section, that the seed is seed. It's powerful seed. If you sow the right seed, you know the harvest you're going to get. Don't underestimate the principle of sowing and reaping, the power of the seed. Keep going. Keep sowing seed. Here's a little verse. I don't know if you've ever read it. In 1 Corinthians 3, you've probably read it, whether you've connected with it. And Paul says this. He cites it. He says, I planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. And when I got a hold of that, when I saw this picture, when I, when I, when I understood this, it really is a simple breakdown of what serving God looks like. It says something like this, I, I may be the one who plows, I may be the one who sows, I may be the one who fertilizes. I may be the one who waters. One day I may have the privilege of harvesting. You know, when I, when I first saw this, you know, Paul plants, Paulus waters, God makes it grow. Once you see it as a process, once you see it as a journey, once you recognize actually our primary task is to sow seed, and I thought, that's great. So I may not be able to do all of those things, but I tell you what, I can do that. I can sow seed, and yeah, there's a responsibility on me to, to do that seed sowing, but there's a lot less pressure, because 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says it's God who makes it grow. King James, God who gives the increase. And it takes the pressure off. I get to sow seed, yes, I have my role, yes, but God has a role in that too. And actually other people around us, other people further down the road, further down the journey, have a role and responsibility. My role is to sow the seed, 
that God puts in my hand right now into that soil. That's it. I love that. I'm happy to let God lead me into all of that. And the reality is there are different types of seed that we can sow. I haven't got time to delve into these too deeply today. You know, we can sow seeds of love, seeds of grace. Boy, does the world need that. We can sow seeds of integrity, just doing it right, just, just doing what Jesus taught, just standing up and being like Jesus. That's, that's a powerful seed. And you don't find that seed reaps a harvest immediately, but if you keep sowing that seed over a period of time, I guarantee you, Seeds of integrity produce really, really powerful harvests. Seeds of love, seeds of integrity, and the third one is seeds of truth. You know, everywhere we go, there are going to be opportunities to sow a seed of truth, whether it's the full-blown gospel per se, whether it's just a word in season, which is a, a biblical scripture, word of advice. We can have opportunities, whether people even know it or not, whether they're Christians or not, whether we tell them it's the Bible or not. We've got the opportunity to sow seeds of truth. You know, I'm thinking, this is good news. I, I can do that. I can sow. I can water, maybe. And I can relax in knowing that it's God who makes the seed grow. And the message is, don't underestimate the power of the seed. And don't become weary, because one day it will be harvest time. Bit of a whimsical thought, really. I think, I think a crucial skill that we need to mature into as Christians is to be able to look with our faith eyes, as it were, to be able to see what God is doing. You know, if we, if we agree and we believe that God is at work, some ways seen and some ways unseen, there's that man on that checkout line, the ability to look through, through the eyes of the Spirit, as it were, and say, okay, what is it, God, that you're doing? What is it that you've already done? And once we see what God is doing, where the hand of God is already in operation, then dive in right there. Don't start diving in over here. Start diving in right here in what God is already doing, what God is already purposing, what God is already blessing. This, of course, is why we need the Holy Spirit so badly. I haven't mentioned it, but Ephesians 5, the previous passage, we read 5 verses 15 to 17, verse 18 is the verse that says, be filled with the Spirit. Because that's going to be right at the core of all of this. I'd like you to notice how often in Jesus' interruption, he actually responded by asking a question. And I think what Jesus would do is someone would come blustering in and say, the rich young ruler, what must I do to be saved? Or the woman at the well with her little bit about water and what have you. And Jesus would look deeply, penetratingly, discerningly into their eyes and say, I'm going to ask you a different set of questions because I need to tease out here what the real issues are. You know, what is it that you're really asking me for, you really want? What, what do you really need? What are your real concerns? What's the unbelief that I have to counter here? And Jesus was amazing as he was led by the Spirit at discerning what was needed in each individual situation. Just look through his stories, read the gospel, and just admire his mastery at this. Jesus asked questions to find out what God was doing, what God was stirring, what God was saying. Similarly, I think of Paul, you know, there's that statement that Paul makes, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. It says, I have become all things 
to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. In other words, I, I recognize that I have to be flexible in my approach. And sometimes we see Paul operating as a philosopher, sometimes as a teacher, sometimes as a listener, sometimes as a healer, sometimes as a confronter, sometimes as a comforter. All dependent on the situation and the people and the background and the culture and the belief set and sensing what God is already doing, what God is already stirring within. So the next time you are interrupted, next time you stumble across an opportunity, as you're in that conversation, just in your heart, just ask that question. Say, Lord, what's going on here? What are the real needs and issues and concerns? What, what is the ground that you've been pre preparing here, Lord? What is the seed, therefore, that needs to be sowed? And then just go ahead and sow the seed. That's all. That's all we need to do. Sow the seed. Maybe it's a seed of truth. Maybe it's a seed of love and grace. Maybe it's a seed of integrity. Just pray and say, Lord, what seed needs to be sown here? The point is, I suppose, that there are different ways you can do that. There are different seeds that can be sown. For example, apologetics, explaining truth and reason, is a wonderful tool. In that situation, you get to sow truth. Fantastic. But that's not always going to be the seed that needs to be sown. Sometimes people need, just, just need someone to open up to. Sometimes people just need a shoulder to cry on. What they need is a different seed. They need the seed of love. What they desperately need is grace. You know, sometimes there's a controversial, confrontational situation going on. And in that situation, you get to sow integrity. I think there's an extent to which God knows what you're good at. God knows what's in your hand. He knows the seed that you have available. There's an extent to which God will open the way. He will, he will put specific situations and opportunities for you to use that gift. But sometimes other skills are going to be needed. Hence the call to be wise, to make the most of every opportunity. Because I think it's sad to say that, that many times well-meaning Christians have slammed doors shut because they've just been insensitive. It needed grace and love, and they've sown, bang, truth, all the other way around. So we need to be skillful, we need to be patient, we need to be spirit-led, and we need to be seed-sowers. Thirdly and finally, we're nearly done, Colossians 4 Colossians 4 is about praying for opportunities. A couple of questions for you. In all of this, what, what's your expectation? Are you expecting God to do anything? Are you expecting God to use you? Are you expecting God to place opportunities in your path? Would you even recognize them if they came? You will after today. What's your attitude? Second question, what's your attitude? Do you see opportunity or do you see interruption? Do you see opportunity or do you see problem? Here's a quote I read a few weeks ago. A negative thinker sees a difficulty in every opportunity. A positive thinker sees an opportunity in every difficulty. Which of those are you? What's your attitude? 
Because I, I worry sometimes when I examine my attitude. You know, I've, I've got deadlines, I've got things to do, I've got things I need to protect and preserve, family life and so on. Isn't it easy to start to get a bit of a bad attitude? And if we do, is there not therefore a danger that we miss what God is doing right under our nose? What's your expectation? What's your attitude? And third one, are you aware of the mission? Is, is the mission of Christ, for you, is it in the foreground or is it distant back there in the background? Is it the main thing or is it an inconvenient subplot? Is it the object of passion or guilt? Want to or ought to? What Paul does in Colossians 4 is he places this whole thing right up front and central. And what he does, actually, Colossians 4 really is a prayer request. And he says, first of all, pray that God may open a door for our message. You know, we should pray for evangelists, we should pray for pastors, we should pray for teachers, that God will open up a door so they can do what they do. And then he says, pray that I may proclaim it as clearly as I should. Then he flips it around, actually, and he talks about you. And he extends the prayer, he opens it up and says, you know, pray that we may be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. Pray that we might, might make the most of every opportunity that presents itself. Pray that our conversations might always be full of grace and seasons with salt. And pray that we might know how to answer everyone at the appropriate time, in the appropriate way. You know, we need to be wise. We need to capitalize on opportunities. We need to respond to what the Lord places in our paths. But I think this principle is a step deeper than that. And it says, ask for it. Actually pray for opportunities. Actually invite God to use you. When I was uh, a young Christian many years ago, I was taught a prayer by a chap from uh, the States. And the prayer went something like this. I prayed often. Lord, move me physically and geographically across the path of those people who need to hear the words that I have to say and who need to drink the water that is in my well. Amen. I'll read that again. Quote that again. Lord, this is a prayer. Lord, would you please move me? Do whatever needs to be done. You know, if, if you want to send me that way rather than that way. If you want to slow me down so I'm late, so I... Whatever it, you need to do, Lord, would you move me physically, geographically, so my path intersects with those people who need what I've got? You know, we, if we believe that we've got the love and the life and the peace of Christ on the inside of us, if we've got a well that is overflowing, wouldn't we want to bump into the very people who need the very thing that we have? I think that's what it's saying, Colossians. We, need, we can pray for that. And, and if we'll do that, it'll... Actually, it'll solve some of the problems. This will change our attitude, because now we're looking for it. It'll change our expectation, because we're looking and saying, what is God actually already doing? And it'll keep the mission firmly placed on our radar, if we pray prayers like that. It'll also steer us clear of those dangers right at the start. The danger of being too introspective, of being too busy so we miss it, and being callous so we're insensitive to people around us in need. How, how as a church, how do we step into a season of harvest? And prayer is obviously going to be a critical part of that. 
Paul highlights here. How do we as individuals begin to leverage our relationship and our influence and opportunity? The answer is we pray, we ask, we invite, we dialogue. How, how do we know what seed to sow? Again, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom, we listen to him and we cooperate with him and then obey him. So as I wrap this up, in summary, the big idea all around us are tremendous opportunities to sow seed. In fact, I believe God is placing them in your path as you go. We have to learn to recognize them. We have to have the faith and the boldness to act on them, knowing that we can trust the seed because the seed is powerful, because the seed is good, and ultimately it's God's responsibility to make that seed grow. And Ephesians chapter 5 tells us to be wise. Wise enough to make the most of, to take advantage of those opportunities. Galatians 6 encourages us to sow seed, not to become weary, not to give up, but keep sowing. Sometimes it's going to take 25 years of seed sowing before we see the harvest. So see the harvest. We don't be discouraged if we throw one seed and nothing happens. Sometimes it's going to take you to sow, and them to sow, and them to water, and them to sow. And God will grow it over the, uh, the course of time, because ultimately it's his responsibility. And the Colossians 4 encourages us to pray for opportunities. And then when those opportunities come, to proclaim that message boldly. Because Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I'm going to leave you with two questions to ponder. We're doing well for time. First question is, is this. I'd like you to ask yourself this morning, where has God placed you? Question like this, who, who are you in relationship with right now? Who, who's, who's sitting across the desk? Who's next to you in class? Who... You know, who are you bumping into? Who are you feeling drawn into relationship with right now? Because I guarantee you, God is at work in all of that. What's, what's God put in your hand? What gifts has he given you? And are you using those creatively? And are you, are you dialoguing with the Holy Spirit and asking him to lead you into opportunities as you sit and you, you look at that person, you talk to that person, you encourage help, whatever it is, that person, are you saying, Holy Spirit, what's going on here? And is there anything that I need to do? And the answer may be no. The answer may well be, sow a seed. I love that. All I have to do is sow a seed. I don't have to save them. It's not my personal responsibility. I don't have to spend all night up weeping and gnashing and banging, you know, whatever. I've just got to do what God, the Holy Spirit, puts in front of me at that moment. And through this course and through the next one, that is going to be an overriding one. So the first question is, where has God put you? Where has God put you right now? What's God doing? The second one um, is, in, for me, as much as you, I think, which is, when you examine your life, your days, your time, do you see them as interruptions or as opportunities? You know, is it, is it for you, me, is it time for a mind shift? 
But do we, we, do we need that change of attitude, that change of expectation again? Do we need to start praying for opportunities? We won't see harvest if we don't sow seed. God will place opportunities. God is at work, but he needs us, his church, to step into that. And so what we're going to do is we'll spend a bit of time in worship. We'll have some ministry time over there and all of that. But I just encourage you to take those two questions. But one, is there anything in my attitude right now that needs to be examined? And number two is, okay, God, what have you put right before me right now? Let's pray. Father God, we, we worship you. Lord, we thank you that you are at work. If you were not at work, we would not be where we are. And as we grow and as we watch, actually we start to see more and more things that you are doing. More and more strings that you are tugging. More and more people that you are just agitating, I suppose. Just starting to, to take their eyes off all that and onto you. And we recognize, Lord, this is your game. These are your people. It's your mission, your mandate. This is your planet. They're your souls. And you're at work. We also recognize the incredible privilege of participation that you've chosen to use us. And that you're drawing us into that place of awareness and skill and spiritual sensitivity to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that you are stirring all around us. I suppose all I can do, Lord, is, is just pray for, for all of us that you'd show us what it is that we need to do, what it is, perhaps in attitudes, that we need to change, how it is that we become wiser, more skillful in sowing seed, in grabbing hold of the opportunities that you have littered across our path. And Lord, ultimately, that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. That we would not become ca too calloused and too busy too introspective, but that we would all become passionate seed sowers. That we would be like Jesus on that, that road to seek and save lost people. I suppose as always, oh, it's a simple prayer. Lord, would you do in me whatever you need to do to get me where you need to get me? And secondly, Lord, if there's any one thing that you are whispering in my ear today, May I not be too stubborn to hear it and respond to it. Holy Spirit, we give you these questions. We ask you to stir, to minister, to nudge, to poke, to inspire, to encourage, to strengthen. Do whatever you need to in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen.